Hi there, friends. This is episode 65 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff. I'm a pastor and an author and the host of this show. And what we usually do here is we have interviews with people and talk about different spiritual practices, also talk about quite a bit about books that people might have written, and uh, just try to gain some insight into the spiritual life and what goes into it to try to demystify it a little bit if that's possible Um, and then maybe sometimes even infuse some mystery into the spiritual life. Some of my favorite guests have been uh, people who have been doing ministry with or have written books for kids and I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, Instead of having an interview, I've gone back to a couple of interviews that I did about a year ago with two authors, uh, so two separate interviews. Uh, the first author is named S.D. Smith and uh, uh, is a friend, uh, and we had a great time chatting about his work. Uh, he writes middle-grade uh, fantasy books, uh, stories about rabbits living in a wood where things have gone wrong, and uh, but it's really kind of a, a, a story that is about... Um, about the kingdom of God. Uh, so we spent a whole bunch of our interview time talking about the kingdom of God and also just about story in general. And um, so I want to replay some of that. His uh, series is the Green Ember series, and there's a number of books in that series which you can find if you go and search for the Green Ember or S.D. Smith. Uh, it'll come up and you'll find it. Um, So we're going to just jump into a few clips of my interview from last year with S.D. Smith. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to hear a little bit from another children's author. And I kind of have a cool thing today. I'm going to read you some sections of a new children's Bible that is out. um, And uh, and I think you're going to really enjoy that. Uh, and uh, just share with you a little bit about uh, a project that I think is really fantastic. And I'll share with you a bit today about my own children's writing for middle grade readers uh, in my own fantasy adventure series. So yeah, we're going to do a few different things today, uh, but we're just going to listen to a few clips to start off with from my interview that I did uh, last year with S.D. Smith. I don't set about writing a story and think, like how can I jam in my values or that kind of thing into it? It's it is like like um, Tolkien talked about stories bubbling up from the the leaf mold of, of the mind that they that they come up and, and it's from all the stuff that's fallen in the forest of our lives, all the things that the, the the rotten banana that the camper left and the you know just everything it bubbles up and so I think that the the thing that I want to bubble up in my life, the thing I want my life to be about is the kingdom of God. That's just as a man, just as a person. And it's how I want my family to be. And it's how, where I want my heart. I don't want to get my cues from, um, from bad practices in my culture or anti-kingdom practices in my culture. I want to anticipate the kingdom of God 
in all areas of my life as much as possible. And obviously I'm going to fail at that and do wrong things. I want to do that as a dad. So, so then I have this, there's like, as you mentioned earlier, I have this uh, vocation as a storyteller and I'm writing stories. And so I don't set about to say like, how can I wedge in the kingdom of God or anything like that? It's just, that's who I am. And so hmm. there's going to be echoes of that. There's, that are, there's going to be leaf mold, as Tolkien said, bubbling up into my story about the kingdom of God. And I think that you know, the, the Green Ember was stories that I told my kids over years, but it didn't have that sort of that part about cloud, cloud mountain and the anticipation about their mended wood, which does sort of echo, right. I think, a, a lot of the kingdom of God. And I didn't really like, I wasn't sitting about to like, well, how can I teach the kids about anticipating? That just came out. That was just there. And yeah. I hope it feels faithful and natural within the story. Like I said before, I love the Bible. I think it's it's, it's uh, compelling and authoritative and I, I, I wouldn't say anything against um, the power or authority of the Bible. I think it's, right. I love the Bible and it's compelling, but what is Bible full of? It's full of stories. Exactly. <laughs> full of, um, and it's, and it's in stories that often precede. I have a friend named Diana Herrer and she talked about how the, the, the children of Israel got um, a narrative before they got the law that they, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. So there, there's this identity. You are the people of the God who, who defeated this, the biggest military and um, biggest civilization in, on the planet. This God overcame that um, civilization and delivered his people. And that's their identity as, as his people. And then they got the law. So, and I think that's similar with, with even the gospels in the New Testament. We get, we get Jesus and then, mm-hmm. so we have this narrative, this, which is which is not the big narrative for Christians is is the resurrection. I think we cross the resurrection, as compared to the deliverance from Egypt. But it's still the same. You know, we have this big story, and so the 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 all the do's and don'ts which do exist and are real. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is not joking around. He has a lot of very serious things to say. Um, but they they're informed, yeah, by by the story, and it, and it makes sense. And you you can say Jesus is powerful. But that is completely meaningless unless you have unless you have a story and feeding the five thousand, walking on the water, healing Jairus's daughter, like that all makes that mean that's what it means to be powerful. And so you, and when you get the story, you get the truth, and um, you get all the power that comes in the story as well. So you get the information, but the information's never doesn't feel like it's ever enough. But I feel like the imagination is a you know maybe you're going on to this, but the, the imagination is a capacity like the intellect or like other things. So I feel like we all have, and I think people say like, well, kids have a lot of imagination or something. They mean that they like believe things that aren't true. But imagination is so much more than that. Imagination is, is, is I think, in, again, in the case of anticipating the kingdom of God, it's seeing something that is true that you can't, that being, or, or believing, anticipating something that is very true, um, ultimately true, but you can't see it. And so it's this, I think that everyone has an imaginative capacity. And so, and so I think you can do things to make that stronger, which one thing those things is uh, reading stories or telling stories, enjoying stories. But it's, I feel like C.S. Lewis talked about imagination is a, is a capacity that will, it will serve any master. He didn't use those exact words, but it's like the intellect, you know, there's no, just having a great imagination. I mean, you know, most people's problems with most sin start maybe even end in the imagination so the imagination is a is a wonderful capacity but it's not just 
all the time morally good, you know, just, just like the intellect, you know, Hitler might've been very imaginative or, or uh, intellectual or whatever, but that does, doesn't mean that the, what he used, what he, what he did with that was good. And so I just, that's why I, I used, we use the caveat a lot at StoryWarn as um, of holy imagination, just tr trying to build a capacity for a, an imagination that is, that is informed by like a love of and a longing for the kingdom of God. I feel like the stories that I've enjoyed reading, you know, they, they, um, they shape my affections, you know, in a way that, not, again, it's like we were talking about before, but you can say like, don't, uh, don't be uh, condescending or have like a white savior complex. If you happen to be a white person in the West, like thinking that you know everything and you're there to save everybody or something like you mm -hmm. could say that, but if you read a story, you know, about where you're seeing someone do that, even if it's not a fiction story, which you have a lot of examples, you just go on Facebook and you can see, uh, you know, then you can like, but you can, but if you, if so, I'm just saying, if you can inhabit uh, what, what you do in a story, especially with a strong point of view character, like you inhabit that person's life. And so you can experience their mistakes and you can say like, would I want to do that? And you can be inspired to good things and you can be, um, you can be warned uh, of like, oh, I wouldn't, I would not want to make that choice. That's not a good choice. And so I, I feel like it takes you outside of yourself in a way. It, it gets past, again, as Lewis says, the, the watchful dragons hmm. of the intellect and it, and it gets straight to your heart and it gets you right where you, right where you pick what you love. And so I think stories are so powerful in that way. And I think that's another, it's another reason why like picking good stories for kids is, is, I don't think it's like the, I think it's like the front line. I don't think it's the, you know, a, a lot of churches will say, you know, there's somebody volunteering and maybe they're a new Christian or they're immature or something that, and they're like, well, let's just, let's stick them with the youth. Let's stick them with the kids. Like, cause they don't know anything. Uh, and I'm like, that always bothers me because I'm like, no, that's where you need to put your best, you know, you're not that, you know, everybody needs to be perfect, but I just feel like we have such disrespect for, for kids a lot of times, but mm. I'm um, saying that it, it doesn't matter. I think that, so I feel like what, what the, I think stories are really, really powerful. I think, you know, the, the I think that the, well, uh, it, was, I think it was Chuck Colson who said that politics is downstream of culture. And I just feel like that if you're worried about an election, which, you know, we're all worried about elections at different times, um, then, you know, worry about the stories about 50 years before. And you, that, because that's what we, we act out um, the stories that we believe and that we love. And a lot of times we believe lies. And so so I, I just feel like, you know, by the time it comes around to the power of politics, it's too late because mm. the stories that we loved um, really shaped us in these powerful, really, really powerful ways. So I think, so I kind of think the storytelling is, is, is in a lot of ways the front line and storytelling for kids is the front line. Of, mm -hmm. of like the affections and the love. Yeah. And so, so I think powerful stories, a friend of mine said that um, stories that are kind of rooted in the truth are not an escape from reality, but an escape into reality. And I feel like I want my stories to be an escape into reality. Mm. I want people to read them, even though they're about rabbits with swords and that kind of thing. I want them to read that and feel like that's the real world. Like that is what, that's what, that's how God made the world. And it, it harmonizes in this um, truthful and beautiful, I hope, way with with the reality that God um, uh, that, that that is revealed, like in, in God's world. Just loved what 
S.D. Smith had to say about story and imagination, especially this idea that stories are kind of the front lines when it comes to to kids um, trying to introduce uh, kids to good story and story that's going to ground them in truth and beauty and goodness. Um, and I just loved so much of, of what he had to say there. Uh, and I'm just going to play you one more clip, but wanted to just kind of jump in here to give it a bit of an introduction. Um, this last little bit is really important to me as well, because I think this is what I've done with my own storytelling, with my uh, own fiction series, is to try to um, have something that kindles the imagination, as we've heard uh, S.D. Smith talk about here, but also have stories of hope, stories that we can grab onto and be inspired to hope uh, rather than stories that maybe bring us into further despair. And uh, a little bit of this clip got cut off at the beginning, um, but uh, but he's just talking a little bit about how um, he doesn't really need stories that are going to uh, highlight despair or cause us to despair or to worry or to be in anguish. And um, because that's already the reality of life. Um, so that's kind of the, the opening into this. We'll just kind of jump into this and let you hear this last clip from S.D. Smith about stories of hope. Like if it's uh, stories to sort of like bring you down and to, to fuel despair or that kind of thing, like I'm already there. <laughs> like I, I don't need any help with that. You know what I, I mean? As far as like naturally, you know, I'm going to I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to. Sh- struggle on that in that direction myself and mm-hmm. uh, everybody's like that so I don't need any like help in that I need hope I'm exactly I mean like you I need I need the Death Star to blow up at the end um, even if Darth Vader's still out there and you, you know it's, it's an ongoing thing um, I need I need there to, I need something to be happening and then, of course there's going to be middle stories which the second book uh, Ember Falls is a middle story and it's and it's and it's it reads like a middle story and I feel like like you said, that's where we are, the already not yet. You know, part of that not yet is pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so that, so stories like that are, you know, are necessary and real. And I think darkness in children's literature is, is important. But I agree with you that if there's hope, you know, there's life and there's light and I need it. And even if it's just a pinprick of light in the darkness, like I am going to that um, because I need it. And I want the kids that read my books to feel to feel that. And I think what you said about the king, about the kingdom or the men of wood, whatever took to, to that there is, that there is hope and then there is work to do yeah. and, that, and that what you do matters. So like, I think that's another sort of like temptation of modernity is to despair, which is like despair makes a lot of sense <laughs> uh, logically. And again, intellectually despair makes sense. It needs imagination to fuel hope. I think it does for me. And and to realize that, well, my decisions, you know, even though this thing is working and, and I still, what I do still matters. My practices matter and my, um, my, my culture and what I'm looking at matters uh, because, you know, uh, the, a lot of people are saying, I think Jamie Smith's talked about, you know, what you see is what you, beho- what you behold is what you become. And, you know, you are what you love, that kind of stuff. Okay. You are what you continually do. Aristotle said, excellence therefore is a habit you know, what you, what you put in front of me. So I just feel like it's important for me to know I've got, I've got to have, I need hope just like you and hopeful stories are uh, the very best thing I think for me as far as to, to fuel that anticipation. I loved so much of what SD Smith had to say 
about the imagination, about story, and about hope. And it really resonated with me as a children's author myself. Um, writing the Dell Rider fantasy series is, uh, again, something I aspire to do is have a story that is infused with hope that doesn't necessarily shy away from the darkness, but in the end is talking about an overall story that mirrors or parallels God's story of overcoming the darkness, of that there is a good ending that God has in store for us. I mentioned earlier that this podcast is going to contain clips from two authors, and that second author that I have today is Laura Allery. Laura and I had a fantastic conversation last year where we spoke a lot about the liturgical year because she has a couple of books about Advent and about Lent. And so we went through a whole bunch of that. So I encourage you to go find that interview and listen to that if you missed it last year. Uh, but I'll just have a few clips here of Laura speaking uh, a little bit about story and her understanding, uh, but also her talking about another project that she had been working on called Read, Wonder, Listen, which is a full children's Bible that she had worked on, uh, and it's now available. Uh, so I'm going to play these clips, and then when they are complete, uh, we'll come back, and I'm going to read to you one of the stories from Laura's children's Bible, and it's just phenomenal. Um, so hang in there, and uh, and then I'm going to read you one of the stories, which I think is actually something that as adults, sometimes we don't always listen too carefully or spend time reading uh, children's stories or from children's Bibles. But this, I just encourage you, uh, I think even adults, maybe even especially preachers, can gain an awful lot, as uh, Laura points out in this clip. So just uh, hang in there and have a listen. Um, I'm a huge advocate for the liturgical year or the, the circle of the church year, as I sometimes call it. And I do think it's um, a powerful spiritual tool for anybody, but particularly for children. Uh, for one thing, it is, or has the potential to be a feast for the senses. I mean, it really engages children on something beyond an intellectual level. There's, there's smells, there's colors, there's tastes, there's, there's so many ways of... Um, yeah, just engaging the imagination and, and more of who we are than simply intellect. Um, for young children, I mean, the, obviously the, the circle is, um, is very repetitive and rhythmic, and there's something um, soothing about that, I think, particularly for young children. Um, I love how it teaches waiting and anticipation. So during Advent in particular, I always love sitting down with the young children in my congregation on that first Sunday of Advent, and I say, this is a special time, and they go, it's Christmas, and I say, no, it's not, it's not Christmas, no. <laughs> it's not. We're, we're still waiting, because we do things differently in the church, we, we, uh, we count time differently. Um, I love the sense that there is a time for everything. Um, I think the that circle of the church year is a valuable place marker. Um, it kind of provides um, provides a, a useful framework. It makes room for a wide variety of feelings and experiences because it is structured around the story of Jesus. We have these moments of profound grief and sadness, as well as um, 
great joy. Um, and I think that that's essential for for a healthy spirituality for anyone. I mean, children need to have, they need to know that there's a place for all of their feelings and emotions. And I think that the this, this circle um, helps them understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I use the analogy of this blessing that I sing to my kids um, every night before supper, before supper, before bed rather, um, and it's the ironic blessing, basically, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. And, um, and I sing it no matter what kind of a day we've had. And sometimes I sing it, and I'm in tears because there's been some kind of conflict, or sometimes I sing it to a, a child who's balled up under the blankets because she's angry with me. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter what the uh, turbulence of the day has been. I sing that blessing to connect us with something that's deeper and more stable underneath it. And for me, that um, the church year calendar, the liturgical cycle does something similar. Um, Whatever, um, whatever the changing circumstances of our lives are, it's connecting us to the great mysteries of our faith that underlie everything. Um, so, you know, with my kids, I'll, I'll say these, some of these mysteries are uh, God is with us in every place and every time. Every ending is also a new beginning. There's no life or there's no new life without death. Death is never the end of the story. So these kind of great truths are built into that cycle. And as we keep spiraling through them, I just think they, um, yeah, they keep um, becoming a deeper part of us. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I, I think as well, like, I, I know I need reminding that kids, uh, they thrive with with repetition and, mm-hmm. and, ritual and tradition, really. Yeah. Kids actually, even though we might think the opposite, I think kids actually love tradition. Oh, um, for sure. Well, and, whatever, you... and whatever that looks like, right? Like, yeah. That might not mean you've got the most formal liturgy in your church. Nope. Um, but I just think of, you know, now like our, our Christmas tree has to be put up at a certain time or our daughter would not be very happy about that. Um, because it's tradition, it's, it has to happen. No, absolutely. There's something reassuring about doing the same things in the same way. Right. Right. And even, and I think most parents kind of know this, but they don't necessarily translate this into religious or spiritual life Mm -hmm. because our days as parents are have ritual right have have the pattern have the same thing happening in the same order every day and it's not just out of convenience I don't think it it provides you know comfort and uh assurance for your children to know oh okay I know what's going to happen and they need that yes Um, and so to have the year structured that way as well as our days structured Mm -hmm. I think is actually really helpful and and actually to me ends up sparking creativity more than if everything was just this total chaos. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So I need those reminders too, because I, I really like new things. So I'm always wanting to move on to what the next new thing is. <laughs> I need the reminder that it's good to uh, have that order to things. And I think, I think the liturgical year does that. Story, I, I think is one of the most profound ways we have not only of expressing our our own deepest 
questions and our own spiritual life, but also that's how we develop empathy. That's how we, um, that's how we connect with other people and their experiences. That's, um, I mean, we're all going through, through life, trying to make meaning of the things that happen to us, the bits and pieces that make up our particular stories. And there's something really profound about finding ways to connect with with a, a bigger story. I was just thinking about symbol and ritual because I am naturally very drawn to symbol and ritual. So so I tend to um, have a lot of it in, in my own life and in my children's lives as well. Uh, physical space, for instance, is very important to me. I have, from the time my first child was very young, I had what, what we call a seasonal table hmm. set up in one corner and we were constantly changing its um, its coverings and what was sitting on it mm. based both on the seasons of the natural year, but also on the liturgical cycle. So mm. I've always got visual representations of that circle of the church year somewhere in our home. This definitely is aimed at the intermediate space. It's not, it's not a, a kind of introductory Bible for two, three, four-year-olds by any stretch of the imagination. Right. It's... Uh, um, yeah, aimed aimed at an older group. Um, I don't think that, like I think personally that it could be useful for adults as well, um, including preachers. I might say because, um, like everything I do, I try to create. I, I try to create that space mm-hmm. for wondering and um, for wondering and engagement with the stories. So there are times when I'm rubbing against the grain a little bit, and I just think that it could be helpful for anybody to look at what are, for some of us, very familiar stories from a slightly different angle. So that was Laura Allery talking about her project, Read, Wonder, Listen, which is this incredible children's Bible. Um, And she has all... Uh, and so many stories in this. It's uh, really a full from Genesis to Revelation uh, Bible that uh, is available and you can get it. I highly recommend it. And what I want to do is I want to read to you one story from Read, Wonder, Listen. And just to give you a sense for how Laura writes and how engaging it is, how how much it helps you enter into the story um, and how this is really a great book for kids, as she was saying, it's really kind of for that middle age group. So all all three of the projects that I'm really talking about, S.D. Smith's, um, my own and Laura's are all for that um, middling group, um, you know, age seven through 12 or 13, that kind of uh, age group. So uh, I'm going to read to you one story and I chose this one. Uh, this is Nathan Tells the Truth. I chose this one because I think this is a particularly difficult story to tell kids. Uh, A story of David and Bathsheba and Nathan coming and confronting David. So you may be familiar with this story. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. And uh, and again, I think it's important for parents to have uh, tools, resources to be able to have the biblical story for their children in a way that's uh, helpful and accessible for them. So uh, I'm going to read this one to you, and uh, you can just sit back and enjoy it. So here we go. It was the spring of the year when most kings are out on the battlefield. David had sent his soldiers off to fight, but he stayed home in Jerusalem. 
one fine evening he went for a stroll on the roof of his palace. From high up, he could look out and see the walls and streets and houses of the city spread out below him. What a beautiful city, he thought, and it is all mine. How wonderful it is to be king. As he was admiring the city, David caught sight of someone on the flat roof of a home nearby. It was a beautiful woman. She had been taking a bath and was drying herself in the cool evening air. Who is she? David wanted to know. Her name is Bathsheba, replied his servants. Her husband, Uriah, is a soldier in your army. So he is away at war, murmured David. David had become used to getting what he wanted. Now he wanted Bathsheba. So that night he ordered his servants to bring her secretly to the palace. The servants did what they were told. So did Bathsheba. No one dared say no to the king. Not long after, Bathsheba sent David this message. I'm going to have your baby. David knew he was in trouble. So was Bathsheba. What would happen when Uriah came home from the war and found out that his wife and the king were having a baby? David wished he could undo everything, but it was too late. So he did what many people do when they have made a mess. He tried to hide it. David sent a message to the commander of his army, ordering him to send Uriah into the front lines of a battle where he was likely to be killed. And sure enough, Uriah died. Then David married Bathsheba and brought her to the palace to live. Now the secret was safe, or so David thought. One day the prophet Nathan came to the palace. Prophets know hidden things, even the secrets of kings, if God chooses to tell them. My lord, said Nathan to the king, I need your wisdom. Listen to this story and tell me what to do about it. In a certain town there were two men. One was rich and had many flocks of sheep and goats. The other was poor and had only one lamb, whom he loved like one of his own children. The lamb even ate from the family table and slept in his bed. One day a visitor came to the home of the rich man. Instead of giving up one of his own sheep, the rich man took the poor man's one lamb, killed and roasted her, and served her up to his guests for supper. When David heard this, he was furious. What selfishness, what cruelty, that rich man deserves to die for his crime. There was a long silence. Then Nathan said, You are that man. David felt sick. Nathan was telling the truth. David had taken everything from Bathsheba and Uriah just so he could have what he wanted. It's true, cried the king. I have done wrong. I have not followed the ways of God. I deserve to die. That may be, replied Nathan. But God has forgiven you. So David learned that sometimes it is very good not to get what you deserve. And that's the story of Nathan Tells the Truth. So, that's Laura Allery's book. Uh, well, really, it's the Bible, um, but it's Laura Allery's storytelling ability in Read, Wonder, Listen. So I highly recommend you go and check out 
her writing, also go and check out S.D. Smith's writing in his Green Ember series, which is just a phenomenal story that he tells. And I would love to encourage you, if you would like, to check out my own stories for kids who are usually grade four and up, but uh, like Laura says about her own writing, uh, in my writing too, lots of adults have really loved these stories, um, which are infused with hope and just tackle uh, issues of darkness. Um, My own stories are stories of fun and adventure, um, but uh, they've got some core deep values in the middle of them, values around forgiveness and compassion and friendship. And uh, yeah, so if you would like to check out my own work uh, or Laura's work or S.D. Smith's work, I'll put some links in the show notes um, so you can head to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and you can find all the information there. Uh, my own books are called the Dell Rider series, and there's th- uh, three in that series right now. The third one was just released uh, this past month, and so I'm just thrilled with that one. Super proud of that book. Um, so the first one in the series is called Dell Rider and the Crystal Seed, then Dell Rider and the Rescue of Eleanor, and then Dell Rider and the Emerald Scepter. Um, so again, just fun adventure fantasy books. Um, but with also a real depth of meaning behind them. Um, So I encourage you to check those out. Uh, Check out Laura's books, check out Sam's books, S.D. Smith's books. And uh, if you do get an opportunity to read any of these, or uh, particularly my own, I would love to hear from you. So if you want to send me an email, um, or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, or just uh, through the website, feel free to do all those things. Um, You should be able to find me uh, pretty easily by going to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and connecting with me there. Uh, This has been kind of a fun episode to do and put together and just kind of listen through some old clips. So I hope you've appreciated this. I know I really do. um, And just the idea of story and finding good stories for kids um, is dear to my heart. Uh, And also, I just hope that... uh, that these have been encouraging for you to think about the importance of story in your own life and imagination in your own life, whether uh, you have uh, kids yourself or whether you've got uh, kids in your life. I know there's aunties and uncles and grandparents who listen to this as well. Uh, So I just want to encourage you in your own encouragement of the children that you know. Um, And if you don't necessarily have uh, kids who are necessarily close to you right now at this stage in your life, Um, I think all of this stuff really applies to to all ages. So for adults to engage their imagination in the way that they approach life, in the way they approach scripture, uh, in the way that you approach the books that you read, uh, the movies you watch, I think all of that is actually really important. Um, And that the story that we tell ourselves and that we engage ourselves in is really foundational to how we live our life. Um, I go back to some of the things that S.D. Smith was saying about how, you know, even the law that was given to the Israelites, there was a story that that was grounded in. 
um, the stories of Jesus, the stories that, that God gives us in the scripture are foundational for our faith. And we need to revisit those over and over again. And someone like Laura Allery gives us a fresh new way of looking at those, whether we're reading those with kids or just reading them ourselves. So something like Read, Wonder, and Listen can really help us with that. But also other stories like The Green Amber or My Own can, can really help you uh, to be able to engage with those deeper issues of life um, in ways that might be helpful and hopeful. Uh, so I hope you take something out of this today. Uh, I know I've had a blast putting this together, and I just want to encourage you uh, to engage with these stories even more. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You can always go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and you can find all of the old episodes and all of the show notes for those episodes. Also, you can find the podcast on iTunes, and I would love it if you could leave a review there. That means so much to me, and it helps the podcast become more visible so that others can find these interviews. Thanks again for listening. Take care.